You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Jesus' message was a very offensive one. I was thinking through all that we've studied in the last about a month or a month and a half now in John chapter 5, verses 17 through where we're at now in 24. Everything Jesus has said has been very, very offensive to the Jews. I want you to think about it for a second. These truths are precious to believers, but they're offensive to unbelievers. And unless our hearts are changed, then we would read John chapter 5, and we'd be tremendously offended by what is communicated in John chapter 5. Jesus said in verse 21 that he is sovereign over life, over death, over the timing of everybody's life, over the timing of everybody's death, and he's sovereign over everybody's eternal destiny. He gives life to whom he wishes. Not dependent upon you, not dependent upon me. The Son raises to spiritual life and raises to physical life and resurrection eventually. Whomever he wishes, he is sovereign over all of that. And the unbeliever says, wait, 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 hold on a second. You are not sovereign over me. I determine when I live, and I determine when I die, and I determine when I will be raised. I determine if I have eternal life. That is my choice. That is my decision. You don't determine any of those things about my life. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I am my own man. You do not have authority over me. Then Jesus says, not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. And the unbeliever says, no, 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 no. You are not going to stand as judge over me. I am my determiner of my own destiny, and I don't need to be judged because I'm not a bad person. You will not judge me. Who are you to judge me? You think you're more righteous than me? That is offensive, is it not? Horribly offensive. And then Jesus says in verse 23, you have to honor me in order to honor the Father. And the unbeliever said, no. I will not bow the knee to you. God and I are on my own terms, our own terms, and I'm fine with the the big man in the sky, and he's fine with me, and we have a relationship, and we worship out on the pond every Sunday and up in the woods and doing our own thing, and I don't have to go to church, and I don't have to come to God on his terms. I come to God on my terms, and I determine that, and I am a spiritual individual, and I have my own relationship with God. All of those things are incredibly offensive to an unbeliever to say to them, You are not the master of your fate. You are not the captain of your soul. You will stand judgment, and you must honor Jesus Christ if you are to be accepted by the Father. Those are offensive, aren't they not? Are they not? Offensive things in John chapter 5, and yet the message that he gives, having offended them, from verse 17 all the way through verse 23, he gives them a very gracious offer in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. That is the offer of the gospel, a very gracious offer of the gospel, given to the very people, verse 18, who were seeking to kill him. Because he is responding to their attempts to murder him, to kill him, because they accused him of breaking the Sabbath, accused him of of claiming equality with God, which he did claim equality with God. He did violate their Sabbath laws. They're trying to kill him. And after he has offended them, he has held out to them an offer of clemency, forgiveness, acquittal. You can escape the judgment that I will judge with, and you can have the very life that I have the power to give if you will honor me by hearing my words, embracing my words, and believing in the one who has sent me. And if you will honor the Son 
and you will honor the Father, you will have eternal life, you will escape my judgment, and I will give you life, and you will pass out of death into life. That is a gracious offer to people who are trying to kill him. But it's also very offensive, because to offer them life suggests that they are dead and they have no spiritual life in themselves, right? And to offer them an escape from judgment implies that they deserve judgment. Does it not? It's a gracious offer, but it's a very offensive offer. By the way, that's exactly what the gospel is. It is a gracious offer, and it is an offensive offer. The gospel is an offense. It is a stumbling block, and it is offensive. It's an offensive message, even though it's gracious, and it offers us forgiveness of sins and eternal life and salvation and life being passed out of death into life and out of darkness into light. It is an incredibly offensive message because it implies to us and states to us that we are sinners in need of salvation and judgment. So a gracious offer in verse 24. We're going to see two things there. First, the the um, oh the word just escaped me. The uh, well, we're going to see two things. We'll go to the first one right now. Verse 24. Look at truly, truly I say to you, the son. Uh, sorry, truly, truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Those are the terms of eternal life. That's the word right there. The terms of eternal life. What are the terms? You have to hear the son. And you have to believe the Father who sent him. That's the terms. If you want to come to God, you have to come to God on his terms, not your terms. And God offers clemency and he offers forgiveness, but he offers clemency and forgiveness. He offers salvation on his terms. And the terms are, you hear the Son and you believe the Father. The word truly, truly, we saw it back in verse 19. You see it again in verse 25, which we'll look at next week. That was Jesus' way of introducing something that was of of more than just passing importance. It was very significant, very important. It's his way of calling our attention to it and saying, what I'm about to say to you is important, it's significant, so listen up. Let your ears hear this because these are important things. And truly, truly, they are important things. Truly, truly, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me. Now, at first reading, that sounds like two different things, right? He who hears my word and believes him who sent me. Two things. Is it two things or one thing? I believe it's actually two ways of describing one thing, that is saving faith. That is to say that to hear the words of Jesus is to believe the one who sent him. Because Jesus didn't speak on his own initiative, but he only spoke what the Father gave him to speak, and he only acted the things that the Father gave him to act and did the things that the Father gave him to do. Because that is true, and it is true that to honor the Son is to honor the Father, therefore to hear the words of the Son, in the sense that Jesus is saying it here, to hear his words is to believe and embrace the very one who sent him. You cannot, just as you cannot honor the Son without honoring the Father, and you cannot honor the Father unless you honor the Son, so you cannot possibly believe the one who sent Jesus without first hearing and embracing the words of Jesus in the sense in which he's speaking. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, he who hears my word? Is he just talking about having words fall upon your auditory nerve? Is that what he's saying? If you just hear what I spoke, give it consideration, listen to it, then you will have eternal life. That can't possibly be it. Otherwise, everyone who has ever heard the Word of God, read or spoken or quoted or read it on a billboard, would be saved. Which would be nearly everybody in the world. That can't possibly be true. Jesus is not saying you just have to simply listen or give ear to what He says. He is talking about a type of hearing that is attended by faith and is in itself an embrace of His Word. And by Word, we mean the message of Jesus. Everything He claimed, everything He offered, everything He proffered, everything He taught, everything He claimed to be, everything He gives to us, 
That message, his entire message, his being, that is what we embrace when we embrace and hear Jesus' word. And by hear, he doesn't simply mean just a mere listening to. It is a hearing which is an obedient hearing. We talked about this in adult Sunday school class today. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. What does that mean? Does it mean that you simply hear God's word and everybody who hears it is saved? That's certainly not it. But it does mean that faith, which comes, which is results in salvation, comes through the word of God. And that faith cannot result in anything but from hearing the word of God. You can't be saved and have faith apart from the word of God. It is the word of God itself, which is the tool that brings faith to us. So faith comes by hearing. And the type of hearing that is being described is attended by faith. It is an embrace of it. It's not simply giving ear to it, listening to it. It is an embrace of it. Like Jesus said in John 10, which we read for our scripture reading, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. What type of hearing is that? It's more than just giving sound to. It is my sheep hear my voice and they come to me and they follow me and they listen to me and they obey me and another's voice they do not know, but my voice they know. My voice they know, and they come. That's the type of hearing. So he who hears the word of Christ in this sense is the same as the one who hears and believes the word of the Father. So to hear and embrace the word of Christ is at the same time to believe the one whom he has sent. Can you possibly believe in the Father and be on good terms with him if you ignore and neglect the Son and do not give ear to his word and neglect his word and turn away from his word and disbelieve his word? Can you do that and believe in the Father? No. The one who has believed in the Father is the very one who has heard the word of and embraced the message that the Son came because the Father sent the Son into the world. So to embrace Christ is to get with that all that belongs to the Father and is the Father's, which is all that belongs to the Son as well. So to hear one and believe one is to hear one and believe the other. To honor one is to honor the other. To love the one is to love the other. To hate the one is also to hate the other because the two are inseparably connected. That is what it means to hear the words of Christ. Look down at verse 37 in John 5. And the Father who sent me, He has testified of me. You have neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His form. You do not have His word abiding in you for you do not believe Him whom He sent. You see that? You haven't heard the Father or believed the One whom He has sent. Up in 24, it's hearing the Son and believing the Father. In verse 37 and 38, it's hearing the Father and believing the Son. These two are inseparable. They are interchangeable. So this is two ways of describing the same thing, which is saving faith. He who hears the Word of Christ and believes the Father, or you could say it another way, which He does in verse 37, He who hears the Father and believes on the One whom the Father has sent. Either one, they're one and the same has eternal life. So what are the terms of the gospel? What are the terms of belief? You must hear the word because faith does not come by any other means but by hearing the word of God. It is the word of God that the Spirit uses to bring conviction, to bring the information that is necessary, and to quicken the heart. First Peter chapter 1, it is by that living and abiding word that we have been born again. This word which was preached to you. At some point, somebody shared the gospel truth with you. The message which is the Word of God, and you believed. What did the Spirit of God use to bring faith to you? It was the Word of Christ, and by that you believed. Faith does not come by any other means, save only the Word of Christ. So to hear His Word, believe the Father, you have eternal life. That's the terms of the Gospel. You want to be saved? You want clemency? You want forgiveness? You want acquitted? 
You want to escape judgment and escape eternal death? Well, those are the terms of the gospel. You have to hear the word of Christ and believe the one who sent him. Now, what was the problem with the Jews in verse 18? The ones that were trying to kill him. What was their issue? They hated the Father. Were they listening to and believing on the Son? No, they were trying to kill him. And Jesus is calling for not just simply hearing and any kind of a verbal profession of belief. What is required in John 5 is that they turn from trying to kill him and reject him. A complete 180, which is all that repentance is, turn the other direction and say, I will embrace and listen to and love this one. That is repentance. It is turning from a hatred for the Son to a love for the Son. From neglecting His Word to hearing His Word and embracing His Word and the One who sent Him. Those are the terms of eternal life. It is repentance. It is faith. Those are two things. They are inseparable. They come. They go together. Now, what are the benefits of eternal life? What are the benefits of eternal life? We've looked at the terms. Now, the benefits of eternal life. At the end of verse 24, He who does these things has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. Three things. Three things. First, eternal life is a present possession. You notice that? He has eternal life. Not had, not will have, not will receive at some time, not a future time, not a future state, not a future gift. The one who has believed in the Son, turned from his sin, repented, believed upon the Son, and embraced the Son and the Father, has present possession eternal life. Now this is more than just, this is more than significant. This is infinitely significant. That you understand that eternal life is not something that God will give you in the future. It is something that if you have believed upon the Son, in the sense that Jesus is speaking, you possess it right now. It's not something that will be given to you. It's yours. What type of eternal life? Eternal. Eternal life. Eternal life. It's the very living and the life. At once you were dead, now you are alive. You have been made alive and quickened by the Spirit of God. And so the life that has been communicated in you, the soul, the spirit, which is now alive unto God and alive unto Christ, that is an eternal life, and it will never end, you will never perish, it will never cease, and you don't need any other life to get into heaven or to get into eternity. Some people think of eternal life as something that sort of, I get a little taste of it here. It's just a smidgen, just a bit. Just enough to sort of whet my appetite. And I kind of understand what it means to be alive in the Spirit and commune with God. And so I get a little bit of this life. And if I hold on and persevere to the end, and if I'm good enough, and I finally make it, and I finally get to the end of my life, then God will give me the final gift of life which is fit for all of eternity. That is bogus. All of the life that you will ever need to bring you into heaven and through all of eternity, you possess Right now, in full. There is no promotion of spiritual life. You don't get the second blessing, the next level, an infusion at death. The very life that you have now takes you through this life, through death, into eternity, and all the way through eternity. And it will never end. That's the meaning of eternal life. That very essence which you will have, the life that you will have, a million years from now, a million ages from now, you possess in full right now. It's your present possession. There's no... But then you say, well, Jim, does that mean that this is all that I get to enjoy? But just because you possess it now doesn't mean that you have experienced all the ramifications of it. There's still a future resurrection and a glorified body. 
Do you know why it is that you do not experience now what you will experience in heaven? It's because you're shackled to this flesh and blood, this sinful flesh. This this body of death which still clings to that. You can't enjoy the glories of it because you haven't been glorified yet. So you're still in flesh and blood. And so therefore that life which you will enjoy in eternity is now hindered and hampered and crippled and, and, and smothered by this body of death. And there ought to be something inside of us that longs to be free from this so that we can experience and enjoy all of the fullness of eternal life. But there's no new life that's needed. I have been made as alive as I will ever be made. So once you understand that, then two things, two ramifications of that should immediately be obvious. Number one, this notion of, of, of eternal life being a present possession, you can see instantly that it is completely incompatible with any notion of purgatory. Right? Purgatory, the idea that after this life, I will go to another place where I will be purged and sins purged. Purgatory. I will be purged of my sins. They'll be burned off. They'll be burned away at the end of which I can enter into eternal life. There's no need for that. Eternal life is my present possession. I have it in full. The second notion that this is totally incompatible with is the idea that you can lose your salvation. That you can lose your salvation. It's not temporal life. It's eternal life. It's not potential life. It's not maybe possible life. It's not life if you can hold on to it life. It's eternal life. You have been given, and I possess now, eternal life. And people who believe you can lose your salvation have a totally different idea of what eternal means and what life means. I possess now the very life that will go on forever. If it's not eternal life, they wouldn't call it eternal life. But the Bible calls it eternal life because it is what? Eternal, exactly. Nothing could be clearer. It is eternal and it will last forever. What I have been given will last forever. I can't lose that. If I could lose it, it wouldn't be eternal. It's eternal life. It's my present possession. We're going to deal with the subject of losing your salvation and whether you can or can't and the arguments for it and against it. We are going to deal with that in force when we get to John chapter 6 and John chapter 10 because there are no clearer words in all of the Bible that have ever been spoken on the subject of the inability of his sheep to lose their salvation than you find in John chapter 6 and John chapter 10, those two chapters. So second, not only is my eternal life my present possession, but I want you to notice it is a complete justification. He never comes into judgment. You never come into judgment. You have eternal life. This is the promise of the Son. You will never, never come into judgment. What judgment's being spoken of? It's not the judgment of our works. That is a different thing. In the context, this has to do with life and sin and repentance and belief. So what's being described is not that our works will be judged, which is 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's a different subject for a different time. We will face a judgment for our works and for our motives and for the deeds which we have done. Not our sins, but our acts of service to the Lord. Those will be judged and we will either receive reward or we will suffer loss. That's not what's being described here. The judgment that's being described here is the judgment spoken of back in verse 22 and 23. All judgment has been given to the Son. So if you want to escape judgment, then you come to the Son. Having come to the Son, this is the promise, you have as your present possession eternal life, and you will never, ever come under judgment. You will never face the wrath of God for your sin. Why is that? Because in the courtroom of God, you have No sin. It has been taken away. It has been laid upon Christ on the cross. He bore our sin in His own body on the tree. So there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. To be in the Son 
is to be free entirely from all judgment and condemnation. So when I sin, I ought to feel bad, but I do not feel guilty. There's a difference. I feel bad when I sin, but I don't feel guilty. Because I'm not guilty. I'm righteous in His sight. But I am grieved and I feel horrible for my sin. And so I confess it and I repent of it and I acknowledge it. And I move on and I deal go on with it. But I don't live under this cloud of guilt. Because in the eyes of God, I am righteous. I'm righteous. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Romans 8. Who can do this? It's God who justifies. And if God is the one who has justified you, then what higher tribunal is there who can overthrow God's decision? There's no, there's no appeals court above God. If He is the one who is justified, then how can His elect come into judgment? They can't. There is no condemnation because God is the one who has justified us. Listen, God is the offended party. God is the prosecuting attorney. He's the judge, the jury, and the executioner on Judgment Day. Now, if the offended party, the prosecuting attorney, the judge, the jury, and the executioner all agree that you are innocent, that you are not guilty, that you are justified, and that you are righteous, how can you possibly be judged? There's no appeals court. There's no mistrials. There's no one for God to go to and say, well, you'll have to appeal this to a higher court. The judge has said, not guilty. Innocent. But even greater, righteous. Righteous. There is a song, this always amazes me, there is a song that's sung by a contemporary music group, and I'm not sure which one it is. I think it's 10th Avenue North. I'm not really familiar with it, but there's a music video, and it has to do with justification, having your sins forgiven. And in the music video, it starts off with the band playing the instruments and singing the song. It's a beautiful song. I love it. And it's in front of this massive green chalkboard. And on the chalkboard are written all of these crimes that we've committed. Lust, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, gossip, slander, murder, hatred, envy, uh, jealousy. You list them, all of them. The, the blackboard, is, it's as big as this wall behind me, and it is filled with writing of all of these crimes that have committed. And as the song goes on, speaking of having the sins washed away, the, uh, up at the top, the water starts to run down over the blackboard and it eventually races and makes clean as, clean as new. Washes all of those things away. So that by the end of the song, having talked about forgiveness and justification and what goes on with that, the blackboard is completely cleaned off and there's not a, not a stitch of writing on it. And I watched that and I thought, that is perfect. But it's only half perfect. Because justification is not just having all of that erased. Justification is something else. Justification is further. Justification is having somebody go up on that blackboard, having erased all my crimes, and then write, kept the Sabbath perfectly, loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength perfectly, kept the feasts, kept the festivals, never coveted, did only good, loved his neighbor as himself, having every righteous thing that Christ has done written in its place. That's justification. Justification is not only just escaping judgment, but being declared righteous. Righteous. So that I am as righteous today as I will ever be. And I was as righteous yesterday as I will ever be in the sight of God. Not practically. Practical righteousness, my conduct, is something different. I'm more righteous today than I was 10 years ago in my conduct. Hopefully in another 10 years, I'll be more righteous than I am today in my conduct. But in the courtroom of God, innocent, not guilty, righteous. Everything washed away. And all of the good things that Christ did on our behalf written in its place so that I get credit for all of His active and all of His passive righteousness. He who believes in the Son will never come into judgment. That is the promise. Now, as with our first observation, this one likewise is completely incompatible with the notion of purgatory. 
Purgatory is a judgment, a purging, a cleansing, a judgment for, a payment for sin, which is supposed to somehow contribute to that which Christ has done and sort of perfect His work so as to gain me eternal life. Likewise, this point that we will never face judgment is also totally incompatible with the notion that you can lose your salvation. Because the person who believes that you can lose your salvation, and if this is you, this might be offensive, you do not understand justification, period. Once you understand the biblical doctrine of justification, the notion that you can lose your salvation is, goes right out the window. It's, you don't even discuss it anymore. Justification is having all of my sin credited to another. All of it. Every last one. And all of somebody else's righteousness and goodness credited or imputed to my account. To lose that, God would have to reverse that entire process and take all of the righteousness which is mine, which I did not earn, did not deserve, and impute that back to Christ and take all of the sin which was given to Him and put that back on my account. It is a complete reversal. But justification, I am justified finally and freely and forever. And I will never come into judgment. Never, ever. And the person who believes you can lose your salvation has to believe something that what Jesus said here. You have eternal life. It is your present possession. It will go on for all of eternity. And thus Jesus can say, you will never come into judgment. Never. I will never face the wrath of God for my sin because Christ bore all of that wrath and all of that sin on the cross. Third, it's present possession. It is complete justification. And third, it is a spiritual resurrection. You have passed out of death into life. You have passed, past tense, out of death, into life. Not you will pass at some point. Not when you die, you finally get life. You have passed in your spirit out of death into life. At some point in your salvation and in your life, if you were born again, at some point this happened and it wasn't a process. It happened just like that. It was instantaneous. Now what led up to it may have taken months or years of preparation and wooing and guiding and all of that. What followed from it, your understanding and appreciation of it might have taken months or years for you to finally catch it. But at some point in your salvation, for me, I remember where where I was at when it happened, and I remember the feeling, what was going through my mind, like it was yesterday. It's clear as a bell. At some point, instantaneously, you passed instantly out of the realm of death to being alive. That was a once and for all eternal event whose ramifications will go on forever and ever and ever. At one time, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, not sick, not terminally ill. You didn't have a little spark of divinity inside of you. You just needed to be fanned into a flame to improve yourself and eventually get there. You were dead. Utterly, totally dead. Without any spiritual capacities. Unable to raise yourself. Hopeless and helpless. Without God. Darkened in your understanding. An enemy of God. Separated from His righteousness. Spiritually dead. And at some point, the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, quickened you and you became alive. And instantly you passed out of death into life. What type of life? Eternal life. A life that will never end. And it is because you have passed out of death into life, an eternal life that will never end, that Jesus can say, you will never come into judgment. Why? Because I'm no longer dead in my trespasses and sins. I am righteous in the sight of Christ, totally, freely forgiven forever. These are significant truths, are they not? These are heavy subjects. All of that contained in there, you have eternal life, your present possession, a complete justification, 
and a spiritual resurrection. You have passed out of death into life. See, friends, the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is nothing less than the difference between utter and complete total darkness and brilliant blinding light. That's the difference. It is the difference between death and life. Life and death, that's the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. You ever get to the point where you say to yourself, why is it that I'm around unbelievers and we don't have anything in common, we don't understand each other, we don't speak the same language, we don't share the same interests, they, they don't seem to think like I do, they're irrational, they're, they're utterly uh, uh, ununderstandable, we just, there's, there's nothing, there's just nothing. Once we go through the weather, the sports and the headlines, we have nothing. You ever wonder why that is? It's because they're dead and you're alive. It's because they're in darkness and you're light. It's because they're in sin. And you've been justified. It's a radical transformation that has taken place. And so though all hell should endeavor to shake, we do not doubt, we do not waver in unbelief, we have utter and total assurance that he who has believed and entrusted himself to the Son has believed and entrusted himself to the Father as well, and that we have eternal life. We will never perish, and no one will ever snatch us out of his hands. That's encouraging, is it not? That takes the believer all the way through this life and into eternity, the same eternal life. Let's pray together. Our Father, we rejoice in Your Word and the clarity of it. We thank You, God, that You have worked to bring us to Yourself. We did not come and You did not wait for us to seek You, but You drew us and You sought us out and You have brought us the repentance and the faith and You have worked in our hearts and Your Spirit was active to cause us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we thank You that by Your Word You have brought us faith and brought faith to us, that You have caused us to believe, You have caused us to be born again. It is all for Your praise and Your glory and by Your grace. We thank You that we know the Son and that having known the Son, we have right now eternal life. Thank You for the promise that we will never face judgment and that we have indeed passed from death into life. We praise You for the spiritual life that we enjoy and we look forward with great hope to the day when we will share it together before your throne in your presence for all of eternity. What a marvelous, gracious, and awesome God you are. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.